Thanks, friends. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. My name is Gabrielle, and I am thrilled to be with you. I have been waiting expectantly for this day to come for quite some time. And it's been a little bit of a reunion already since I've been here. I have some of my best friends from the Kern program here with me this morning. All right, we have some fellow Kearneys in the house. I was a part of the first cohort. We graduated in 2017, so it's been a while since I've been back on campus, and I'm learning about some of the new things that you guys have introduced uh, to the iWoo world. One of them is you guys have a choir now? That was so dope. That was awesome. Really, I am just, man, so excited to be here. I graduated, like I said, in 2017, but it was over almost 10 years ago that I first stepped foot on campus here at IWU. And I remember as a student, or uh, almost a student, I went into the School of Theology and Ministry with some really tough questions about if I should become a student here or not. And one of the questions that I asked was, why in the world would we gather all the Christians together when we're supposed to go out in the world? I thought this was a really good question. And the person that I was talking to looked at me and he said, Gabrielle, sometimes people come here for healing. Sometimes people come here that are deeply hurting. And we found this to be a balm to the soul. And so my prayer this morning, entering in, thinking about each of you, is that Iwu would become, like it was for me, a balm to the soul, a place to find a little bit of rest amidst a crazy world and a crazy story, and a place to encounter God's deeper grace. I have a question for you all. all right, do you have your thinking caps on this morning? I hear it's midweeks. Is that what it is? Something like that? Midterms, midterms. See, I don't even remember. It's been three years. I'm done. Midterms. So the question is this. Is there a time in your life where coming in last place was ever a good thing? Throughout your entire life, can you ever think of a time where coming in last was a good thing? Perhaps if you're like me, this question stumps you a little bit, confuses you a little bit, because why would you be last when you can be first, right? We live in a world that talks about winners all the time. We celebrate all sorts of different things. We celebrate World Series championships. We celebrate the final rose ceremony on The Bachelorette. Anybody tracking that? Yeah? All right, all right. Wow, that's probably the best amen I'm gonna get today, isn't it? The highest GPAs. Ooh, am I starting to read your mail now? Job promotions. We start them young with the third grade spelling bee championship. I tell you what, hippopotamus is always going to bring back a little bit of PTSD for me because that's what made me lose the third grade spelling bee championship. Hippopotamus, H-I, okay, no, I can't do it. I can't do it in front of you guys. 
down to our entertainment, what we watch every day, everything seems to be a competition. Everything seems to be who is coming in first and who is coming in last. And when we're focused on this all the time, on these hierarchies, it can be hard sometimes then not to feel like a loser. It can be hard sometimes not to feel alone. It can be hard sometimes when you feel like life has been putting you in last place over and over again, when everything else around you is focused on winning, on coming on first. Perhaps the question we find ourselves asking this morning then is what do I have to do to not be last? Ever thought about that question? What do I have to do to not be last? What do I have to do to earn the next thing, to get to the next place in my life? I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad question, but it is one that we ask quite a bit. I know it's one that I've been asking, particularly in times of great pain or disappointment in my life. I find myself asking the question, God, what do I have to do in order not to be last, in order not to be forgotten, in order not to be left behind. I come from Benton Harbor, Michigan. Anybody from Benton Harbor, Michigan in the room? No? All right, Alana, the one person from Benton Harbor that I brought with me today. Awesome. Bob, you guys are going to meet Alana a little bit. She's amazing, and she's going to lead us in some really powerful worship. I'm excited for you to meet her. Benton Harbor um, has become one of the loves of my lives. I love Benton Harbor. Where else in the world can I get a fried catfish sandwich and then walk out to the end of the lighthouse pier and watch the sunset? It's the hood, and it's the beach all in one. It's my jam, and I love it. I love living in this community. At some point, though, in spending time, um, I was a pastor on staff for a while there. I also have worked with some community development organizations. At some point in my time, and all these different meetings that we're having about how we can serve, how we can create reconciliation uh, within Benton Harbor, some of you may or may not know, but it's a very racially, socioeconomically divided town, much like you experienced just a few streets off campus here in Marion. At some point in all of these meetings, I started realizing that I was walking in and out of my house every day, but I wasn't really paying attention to the neighbors right around me, the ones that lived right next door. And so I got this wild, crazy idea. I'm going to put a table in my front yard, really, a big, wide table, seven foot by four foot, big table sitting right in my front yard. As soon as the snow melted, I plopped it down with the hopes that maybe me and my neighbors could start to have some more conversations, that we could start to get to know each other a little bit more. Along with the table though, I also had another dream. We needed something to eat when we were together. And so me, along with several community organizations, hundreds of volunteers, friends, and neighbors started two community gardens this past summer. Quite honestly, I had no idea what I was getting myself into being a pretend farmer and all. I did grow up in Indiana, but I had maybe planted a sum total of three gardens in my entire life, and most of them were flowers. I knew nothing about vegetables. And now here I was planting cornrows next to the liquor store. 
But here I was learning how to farm this summer alongside my friends, alongside these amazing organizations that invested in a dream, a dream to bring fresh food and produce to a community that was lacking and a dream that we would then break that bread and those vegetables over a table and share our stories and our lives together. But when harvest came around this year, because I'm a pretend farmer, I had no idea that harvest gets crazy really fast because cherry tomatoes don't wait for you to pick them when you're ready. They're ready and you have to go pick them. And that's every vegetable in the book. And so I was running around like a mad woman, making sure that we were picking these vegetables and putting them in crates and getting them to where they needed to go. It was insane. But there was one particular neighbor of mine, every morning I would wake up and there would be a pile of vegetables sitting on the table in my front yard that he had come and actually taken it upon himself to take care of one of the gardens to pick all of the fruit when it was ready for harvest. I never asked him for help. I actually never even told him the vision of what we were doing. He just showed up and he started watering and he started weeding and picking. These morning run-ins often left me headed to work with tears streaming down my face. <laughs> because in a time where I was feeling like I was coming in last a bit, a lot of transition happening in my life, a little bit less of direction than maybe I had hoped for. My neighbor was taking care of my gardens. He was taking care of me. In a time where I was feeling like I was coming in last, Every morning this spring, I would walk out to my front door and I would see my neighbor putting me first. And it did something in me. It changed something in me. Will you turn with me to Matthew 20? We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 today. Again, that's Matthew 20, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to be reading out of the NRSV version, but any version you have is fine. I love that you all bring actual Bibles to chapel. That is so great. Well, again, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 12. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for their daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to him, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last, then going to the first. When those hired, about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received their usual daily wage. And then when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. 
saying, these, worked, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs with me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. The owner of this vineyard is feeling the same kind of feelings I was feeling about the harvest. It comes in hot. You have to find workers. You have to find workers right away because if you don't, you're going to end up losing your crop and you're going to end up losing money. So he goes out into the marketplace and he asks workers to come and work in his field and they work for a few hours, but there's still so much more work to be done. So he goes back and he pulls in more and then there's still so much work to be done and we're not going to get it done by the end of the day and we really need to. So he goes back and he pulls in more workers and finally the work is finished. But then there comes this part in this story where he lines up all the workers, the ones who only worked for an hour versus the ones who worked all day long, and he pays them each equally. I don't know about you, but that kind of kicks me in the gut (laughs) a bit. It's a little bit disorienting because it really doesn't seem to add up. Because how in the world is that fair? I mean, really, how in the world is it fair that you would work all day and get paid the same amount as somebody who worked one? We've been taught, ingrained almost in our DNA that the more we work, the more we should earn. Sound familiar? that the harder we hustle, the more we're gonna make. It's pretty simple math and it just doesn't seem to add up in this passage. It's interesting to me though, that the first workers start to grumble not because of the amount they got paid. It wasn't about the amount necessarily that they got paid but their disappointment came in knowing that they had received the same amount as their neighbor. It was the equalizing of their work. It was the leveling of the playing field with their neighbor that made them grumble, that made them envious. Envy came in when comparison started. Have you found yourself envious recently? It's a strong word, envy. Have you found yourself looking at your neighbor and asking why you don't have exactly what they have? Why they seem to be coming in first place while you seem to be coming in last? Here, this story that Jesus shares shows us a picture of what grace looks like and can feel like. That grace 
is oftentimes disruptive in our lives. That grace is oftentimes far more disruptive than it is comfortable. You see, the workers who came late were given a gracious amount and their neighbors wanted nothing to do with it. They found themselves disrupted by the grace offered to their neighbor. Grace rarely meets our expectations. It doesn't look like we think it should look like because we still are caught up in thinking that we have to earn it. Did you all hear about the world's fastest marathon runner a couple weeks ago? Yeah, some of you? Well, if you didn't, there was a man who just ran a marathon. His name is Iliad Capocci. And he ran this marathon under two hours. In fact, he ran it in an hour and 59 minutes and 40 seconds. Yes, let's clap for that. Let's bomb. That means he ran a marathon with a 4.34 mile pace. Minute mile pace. Four minute miles, you guys. He better be running from something, right? Like there better be a tribe of zombies behind him because running that fast, I can't even comprehend my legs would fall off. I am positive. His name has been all over the headlines. We've been talking about him coming in first, how amazing it is, and it really is. It was a human feat. But there's something that the headlines haven't been mentioning that I found recently that caught me off guard. Did you know it took 42 other pace setters that ran alongside of him to get him across the finish line? It took 42 other men to pace set him, to get him across the finish line. Not only that, but they had everything down to a science. They had six men in V formation in front of him to block the wind. He had two pace setters behind him, making sure that they would cheer him on when he started to slow. 42 other men helped one man win this race. Men that were far more than capable of running that race on their own as well. Their names could have been in the headlines, but we don't know their names. We knew Elliot. We celebrate his winning, but we forget the people that helped him get to the finish line. We forget about his pace setters. And it makes me just think about these workers that were invited into the field in the last minute. When the day was long and the workers that had been there for so long toiled in the sun scorching heat, as they've said, discouraged, we're never gonna get this work done. We're never gonna see the end. We've been here all day. And in comes these new workers that have energy and life and exuberance and are saying, we're here to help and they help them finish the job. Friends, when we get so caught up in the envy of the grace that God has offered to our neighbor, we miss the bigger picture. We miss the bigger picture that it's not about us, that it's about all of us doing the work 
together. Friends, it's not about you. It's not about how much you can do. It's not about how much you can earn. It's not about how high your GPA is. It doesn't matter how hard you've hustled. It's not about your effort. Grace doesn't grow more with your hard work. Grace doesn't abide more if you just think it does, right? That's the crazy thing about grace is that it's just present. It's there. It's for you and it's for your neighbor. But the moment you get caught up in envy of what your neighbor has is the moment that you miss it for yourself. Have you been getting caught up in what your neighbor has and you've been missing it? for yourself. Because friends, that's not how you get to the end of your finish line. That's not how you win the race. That's not how you farm a field. That's not how you can do anything in life if it's not, if we are for each other. Grace Embodied has another name, Jesus. This whole parable pointing to the kingdom of God and pointing to the way that Jesus led his life, this disruptive grace that flipped the world on its head, these socioeconomic constructs on its head. He hung out with women. He served the underprivileged. In fact, he came from the underprivileged, right? He did life with them. He was one of them. He sat next to people who were deep in sin, prostitutes, drunkards, murderers. This Jesus that we follow, grace embodied, shows us a human picture of what it means to live in this kind of grace. A grace that isn't going to follow the normal status quo of the world. A grace that isn't always focused on winning a grace that is actually far more okay to come in last. I love that we as a generation, as a culture, are starting to get woke. That we're aware of the injustices of this world, that we deeply want to make us and our neighbor equal, that I know so many of you are putting your hands to that kind of work and that kind of future, amen. Hallelujah, it's time, church, that we stand up and we be on the forefront of that effort. And I think we miss it a lot in our act to equalize ourselves with our neighbor because it's never about equaling out to make sure everything is fair. That's not what grace is. That's not what we see in this passage. It's celebrating when our neighbor gets more than what we do because they didn't earn it or deserve it because we've already gotten more than what we could ever have because we didn't earn it or deserve it. From the beginning of time, we've been asking the same question, God, what do I have to do so I don't have to be last? But I wonder if God is asking us to switch that question up today and say, God, how can I help put my neighbor first? 
How can I help put my neighbor first? We read in Galatians 2.21, this has become my heartbeat in this work that I've been doing in the community alongside my neighbors. This has been a bit of a mantra of mine. So I'm going to read it to you today. In verse 19, what actually took place is this. I kept trying to keep the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law woman. So now I could be God's woman. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. I am not. Is it not clear to you that when you go back to that old rule-keeping religion, that peer-pleasing religion, that that would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to give back God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then God died unnecessarily. I woo. There's so much more being offered to us. There is so much more being offered to us, a life of abundant grace that will never come by comparing with what your neighbor has or doesn't have. A life that comes only by receiving what Christ has already done for us, that he died on the cross for us so that we would be set free so that we could see and love our neighbor rightly. That is the place where acts of justice come from. That is the kind of work that God wants to do in this world. Not us trying to bring our neighbor down and equalizing to one another, but lifting our neighbor up and empowering one another. But it doesn't come if you're hungry. It doesn't come if you're hungry for grace and you haven't received it. And I believe that there are many in this room today that are hungry for grace. You'll know if you're hungry because they'll find, you'll find envy in your life. You'll find comparison in your life. You're constantly looking at your peers to your right and your left and asking why you don't have what they have. Instead of being your pace setters, they become your competition. You'll know you're hungry for grace if you've showed up here empty and a bit hopeless. Frustrated and asking the question, God, why do I always seem to be coming in last? I'm trying, I'm working hard. 
I'm trying to be the man that you've called me to be. I'm trying to be the woman that you've called me to be. And I just can't seem to measure up. I don't understand, God. You'll know you're hungry for grace if you've been asking those questions. My neighbors have been pretty hungry around me, quite literally. And so we plop this table down in my front yard and we set out a meal. Each of us bringing our own pieces, a lot of times far less nutritious than what I was originally hoping for. We had some fried chicken and some hot dogs. Amen to hot dogs. (laughs) And we broke bread together. We shared these meals together. And somehow it always came together that we ate and we dined, no matter if I brought more or they brought less. There's something beautiful about just bringing what we had to the table. We tried some new strange vegetables as well. Spaghetti squash was a real mystery to most of us. We shared stories of pain, stories of all of us at times feeling like we were coming in last. My neighbor, who was raising a baby and working to make ends meet, would make sure that she would show up with her little baby in her arms. Even if that's all she brought, it was all that we needed was the presence of her. Friends, this morning God isn't asking you to bring anything but what you have. That's what grace is. What did you walk in here with today? For some of you, it's guilt or it's shame. For others of you, you've won the race. You've crossed the finish line. You've gotten the accomplishment, the job, whatever's next. Any of that and more of that is welcome at the table of God. Because when we all bring it together, there's enough for each of us. There's enough grace to go around. What are you bringing here this morning? I will. What are you bringing to the table? You don't have to worry about what your neighbor is or isn't. You don't have to worry if yours doesn't measure up or if theirs seems to outweigh yours more because there's enough to go around, there's enough to go around, there's enough to go around. There's always more room and enough to go around at the table in my front yard. And if anything, it's taught me more about the kingdom of God than a lot has in a long time. It's taught me about God's grace. Will you stand with me? This morning, some of you come hungry. Some of you come hurting. Some of you come in doubt, in disbelief. And my one and only prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come and pour grace over you. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you pour grace over this body? Would you help them to see that there is nothing they can do to earn it 
or deserve it, and that your grace is far and abundant and wide. God, I invite us to the table this morning, (laughs) this space that you've sat before us. May we bring what you've brought us and that be enough. In your name we pray, amen.